we are taking crucial steps towards saving the American people from the nightmare of Obamacare. Oh, is that what they told you, Mr. President? The nightmare of Obamacare. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Well, it's October. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Scary. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us once again today. Great to have you here with us. Even if you are uh, just chilled by the nightmare of Obamacare, don't worry, it's coming to an end soon. Donald Trump signed another one of his high-profile executive orders again today, this time in regard to the Affordable Care Act, and claims that the order would help lower premiums, offer Americans more choices, and, quote, wouldn't cut wouldn't cost the federal government almost anything. Wow, that sounds terrific. Wonder why it wasn't done long ago. Well, Igor Volsky, uh, who we have been speaking to for years, literally more than a decade now about health care reform, will join us shortly to explain what the executive order titled Minimizing the Economic Burden of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act Pending Repeal That's the name of this executive order. We'll talk about what it will actually do and not do and whether this is just another one of Trump's flashy executive orders to appease his base, but which doesn't actually do anything. We will talk about that with Igor shortly. Also coming up, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report with uh, updates on the deadly historic firestorm up in California wine country, which... Uh, unfortunately, continues to get worse. Yes, it's not getting any better anytime soon. No, so we'll have updates on that, updates on Puerto Rico, uh, Trump greasing the skids to allow this massive controversial mine up in Alaska. But let's start in Puerto Rico again, Des, because uh, not only... Not only because Donald Trump said something incredibly obnoxious and disturbing on Twitter again this morning, which we will get to, but I don't know how to help. 
I keep trying. Uh, How to help make it more clear how much trouble the island of Puerto Rico still is in at this point more than three weeks since Hurricane Maria devastated uh, the island of some 3.4 million American citizens. I don't know uh, how to help tell this story other than to just keep telling it as best I can to keep continue to share whatever we can about the struggle still being faced by the folks down there, even as the president seems to be becoming more and more unglued and separated from reality and, yes, unfit for office now with each passing day. But let me start here. Uh, Federal officials privately admit there is a massive shortage of meals in Puerto Rico three weeks after Hurricane Maria devastated the island. This is according to Richard Wolf of the uh, of the Guardian, the UK's Guardian. Uh, he writes officials at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, that's FEMA, say that the government and its partners are only providing 200,000 meals a day to meet the needs of more than 2 million people. We are 1.8 million meals short, said one senior FEMA official. That is why we need the urgency, and it's not going away. We're doing this much today, but it has to be sustained over several months. Wolf writes, the scale of the food crisis dwarfs the more widely publicized challenges of restoring power and communications. More than a third of Puerto Ricans are still struggling to live without drinking water. However, FEMA provides no details on food deliveries, keeping its public statements to the most general terms. On its website, FEMA says it has provided, quote, millions of meals and millions of liters of water. That's the tracking that apparently they're doing. Uh, in fact, many of those meals are uh, these uh, these MRE, the military ready to eat meals that civilians apparently find hard to digest if consumed for more than just a few days. Now the biggest provider of cooked meals says that FEMA is putting its operations at risk of closure. So those, so the, the cold meals, the MREs, uh, that's what uh, the U.S. government seems to be giving out more than anything, and civilians are having a very tough time choking those down. But where we have hot meals that are being made, even that now may be coming to an end. World World Central Kitchen, founded by chef Jose Andres, cooks and distributes 90,000 meals a day throughout a network of local chefs and kitchens. But its FEMA contract to provide just 20,000 meals a day ended on Tuesday of this past week. So they're already distributing 90,000 meals, even though they're only contracted to provide 20,000 meals. FEMA insists that it's bound by federal rules. That means that it will take several weeks for a new contract to emerge in order to feed more Americans in Puerto Rico. There, uh, Andre said there is no urgency in the government response to this humanitarian crisis. They have all the officials and armed guards at headquarters. I guess he's talking about wherever FEMA has set up headquarters, but they have no information about the island. They don't even have a map that they can share about who needs food. According to Donald Trump, his own response to the disaster in Puerto Rico has been exceptional. You recall he tweeted over the weekend on on Sunday, nobody could have done what I've done for Puerto Rico with so little appreciation, so much work. 
The tweet was posted along with a White House video of helicopters and trucks in Puerto Rico and a title card saying, quote, what the fake news media will not show you in Puerto Rico. Well, uh, yeah, uh, depends who you describe as uh, as the fake news, I guess. What the uh, much of the media is not showing us is how many people, uh, never mind the lack of power and communications, never mind the lack of water to half the island. There's a food crisis in Puerto Rico, and it is not getting any better. The uh, the the Hill uh, reports today, this afternoon, that the House easily passed legislation, the U.S. House on Thursday, to provide uh, $36.5 billion in aid for communities affected by recent hurricanes and wildfires. Despite concerns from so-called conservatives in the House about the growing cost of disaster aid, well, you know what? You're concerned about that now. You think climate change is getting expensive now? Just just keep waiting, so-called conservatives. Just keep taking no action. All of the votes in opposition to that uh, aid uh, for hurricanes and wildfires uh, came from Republicans. It was a vote was uh, 353 to 69. So you had 69 Republicans who voted against helping out. Uh, the people in uh, in in Puerto Rico, the people out here in California. The package includes 18 and a half billion for uh, for FEMA disaster relief, 4.9 billion dollars for a disaster relief loan to Puerto Rico. Yeah, did you catch that? Yeah, that's a loan. They're supposed to pay it back. No one else. No of yeah. these other localities that have had these disasters. No one else is being asked to pay it back. Florida and Texas, these other places. Uh, I haven't heard anything about loans to them. So uh, but no, Puerto Rico, they do not get actual no strings federal relief, at least uh, this uh, five billion dollar loan. Sixteen billion dollars from this package will go to address national flood insurance program debt. So we're going to pay off debt on that and uh, a little bit more than about a little bit more than half a billion dollars for wildfire recovery. Um, presumably this means out here in California, which is still ablaze. Uh, it also provided $1.27 billion for disaster food assistance for Puerto Rico. Well, that's nice. But, you know, eventually, I'm sure, once they fill out all that paperwork, then they'll get that food that they have that disaster assistance for. Alongside the current someday. bill. Yeah, someday. Uh, well, it still needs to pass, by the way, in the Senate. Oh, well, I'm sorry. So Delay that. Uh, yeah. A little longer, guys. A little longer. We'll see if the Senate passes it. The total amount of emergency relief funding passed since September alone is approaching $42 billion. Uh, that's just what's been passed since September with these uh, three or four hurricanes, these wildfires. I think we've just passed the, what was it, 10 hurricane mark? 10, 10 yes. hurricanes ten in 10 weeks? 10 consecutive hurricanes in 10 weeks. Uh, so that amounts, by the way, that $42 billion, which is not anywhere near what is needed, that amounts to 6% of the most recent annual budget deficit. So, uh, Desi Doyen, you've been kind of warning about this for a while on the Green News Report and how expensive climate change was going to get. We're beginning to, to see exactly that. But uh, so it's this crisis continues. And yet, remember, just one day ago when Vice President Mike Pence 
was speaking at the National Hispanic Heritage Month reception in Washington, D.C. Again, just one day ago when he said this. To the people of Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, we are with you, we stand with you, and we will be with you every single day until Puerto Rico is restored bigger and better than ever before. Every single day we will stand with you, said the vice president. Well, someone ought to tell the president that. On Thursday morning, President Donald Trump threatened to withdraw federal aid from Puerto Rico as the U.S. territory continues struggling from back-to-back hurricanes. Don't forget, they got hit by two in a row, Irma and then Maria. In a series of tweets on Thursday morning, Trump quoted... Uh, Frequent Fox News guest Cheryl Atkinson blaming Puerto Rico for its federal financial crisis today and suggested that federal emergency management agency uh, aid, FEMA aid, could end soon. Congress to decide how much to spend, Trump tweeted. We cannot keep FEMA, the military and the first responders who have been amazing under the most difficult circumstances in Puerto Rico forever. He quoted Atkinson saying Puerto Rico survived the hurricanes. Now a financial crisis looms largely of their own making. So she was, yeah, blaming them again. Uh, And how well they survived? Well, I don't know. We've got uh, at least 45 dead. Some some have put the uh, numbers up at uh, more in the hundreds. We'll find out. Trump went on to tweet a total lack of accountability, say the governor. I guess he means says the governor electric and all infrastructure was disaster before hurricanes. So um, I don't think they had power outages across 80 or 90 percent of the country. It was blown down by a goddamn hurricane. So now he's he's saying that that's uh, well, it was bad before. We can't fix it now. It was working before. It is not working now. Puerto Rican officials have pleaded with the federal government for more help after the island was pounded by these hurricanes last month. San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulín Cruz, among others, has uh, been very harsh in her criticism of the Trump administration response. And she responded today to these tweets by the president of the United States with a fresh blast. She said... um, POTUS, your comments about Puerto Rico are unbecoming of a commander in chief. They seem more to come from a hater in chief. Oh, he's not going to like that. Oh, boy. The House of Representatives uh, voted for this disaster uh, aid and this loan to Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, by the way. Uh, but even the Puerto Rican governor, who has up till now been very supportive of Trump. and Very his, complimentary. Very, yes. Well, and as you've said before, kind of has to be because he's recognized the need to manage Trump's personality. To kiss up, to treat him like he's a child, frankly. So he doesn't punish people. Right. Uh, He estimates $95 billion in damage. So if you do the math, you know, uh, what they're talking about, a $5 billion loan to Puerto Rico, we are not even close to what they will need. The, uh, The So now Governor Ricardo Rosseo, Uh, tweeted, the U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico are requesting the support that any of our fellow citizens would receive across our nation. Even he, after being so complimentary to Trump, is beginning to get uh, a little worn out by this and pushing back at Donald Trump. 
Senator Chuck Schumer, the Democratic U.S. Senate Minority Leader, echoed those statements. He tweeted, why do you continue to treat Puerto Ricans differently than other Americans when it comes to natural disasters? Hmm. What could the difference be? Well, uh, so he was acting out again on Twitter, as he does. He now seems to be acting out in rage against anybody and anything that doesn't play along with the false narrative that that he has in his mind about reality and that has been firmly implanted in his, frankly, brainwashed head after years of watching and buying into what he hears on Fox News. Like many others, like many others in this country who are completely brainwashed and fact-deprived and lost and angry about it, after watching uh, Fox News for all these years. But when Trump does it, there are actual consequences for the citizens of this country and for the world. Washington Post reports this morning a stunning report. President Trump was livid. Why, he asked his advisors in mid-July, should he go along with what he considered the failed Obama-era policy toward Iran and prop up an international nuclear deal that he saw as disastrous? Now, why did he see it as disastrous? Because he watches Fox News and they told him it was disastrous. He was incensed. Uh, Ann Guerin at Washington Post reports by the arguments of Secretary of State Rex Tillerson his own Secretary of State, Defense Secretary General Jim Mattis, his own Defense Secretary, and others that the landmark 2015 offered stability and other benefits. He did not want to certify to Congress that the agreement remained in the vital U.S. national security interest and that Iran was meeting its obligations. He did not think either was true. Based on what? Nobody knows unless you watch Fox News where they tell you that that too is a disaster. One person familiar with the meeting said he threw a fit. He was furious, really furious. It clearly felt he it's clear he felt jammed. So White House National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster and other advisors had to come up with a plan, one aimed at accommodating Trump's loathing of the Iran deal as an embarrassment, which is how he's described it, without killing it outright. Nobody else thinks it's an embarrassment, by the way. All of the other parties to it. Uh, the, the Europeans, uh, Germany, uh, Germany, France, Russia, China, they all say it's working just fine. It's not embarrassing at all. It has uh, kept Iran from moving closer to uh, obtaining a nuclear weapon, which, by the way, Iran says they have no interest in. They've never had any interest in. So uh, they came back uh, with, with another option. They basically had to figure out some way to treat this man uh, this 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 man child uh, as he was, you know, in a way that would would ease his rage over reality, come slapping him upside the head inside the Oval Office when, you know, where where Fox News is, you know, not giving him the advice, but actual people who are actually on the ground the head of the military, the head of our uh, State Department, our diplomacy, where they're all saying, no, Mr. President, you're wrong. This infuriated the president. So they've now come back with this uh, scheme that will allow him to say, well, I don't think it's in the U.S. best interest. Let Congress deal with it. Let Congress figure it out. We, we spoke with Dr. Trita Parsi of the, uh, the National American, Iranian American Council uh, earlier this week about that. And he says, like others say, 
Donald Trump hates it because Barack Obama was in favor of it. It was a it was a success for Barack Obama. Therefore, Trump needs to somehow break it. And what he's going to do is send it to Congress and ask them to break it, because if they vote uh, to reinstitute the sanctions against Iran, the U.S. will have violated that agreement. And others are unlikely to want to join into agreements with us in the future. Britain, France, Germany, along with the European Union's foreign policy chief, they have all argued to Congress and to the Trump administration that the deal cannot be redone, as Donald Trump continues to uh, claim he wants to do. So he's gotten madder and madder. He, uh, Congress... Uh, because some in Congress didn't like the deal. They put in this thing where the president had to, uh, every 90 days, approve it, uh, essentially certify it, certify that it was in the U.S. best interest. He had to do that back in April, and he did. He reportedly didn't want to. He got more angry by July when the next deadline came up to do this, and that's when he was uh, livid, uh, according to the Washington Post. And now he's got to do it again by October 15th. On Friday, it's believed that he will uh, say it's not in the best interest, pass it to Congress and let them figure out how to clean up his mess. Part of that will probably be ending this uh, 90 day, every 90 days certification. In Great Britain, the nuclear deal uh, was a crucial agreement that neutralized its nuclear threat. That's a quote from British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, who is sometimes referred to as the British Donald Trump. Even he gets it. Even Boris Johnson gets it. This was uh, what he said following a telephone call with uh, Secretary of State Tillerson. He gets it. He says the U.K. supports the deal and stresses the importance of all parties continuing to uphold their commitments. Congress, uh, as I said, may now do away with the requirement uh, that so enrages uh, Donald Trump. But now, of course, now that there's a Republican in office, we'll let it all slide. We don't need to have that certification after all. It might make the president angry. It might enrage him to have to admit to, you know, reality. But, of course, that's not the only reality that enrages him. So does the fact that 30 million more Americans now have access to health care coverage thanks to the uh, Obama's Affordable Care Act. So President Manboy acted out again on that today. We'll discuss his new executive order to try and modify Obamacare since he has been uh, proven to be impotent at getting his own party to repeal and replace it in Congress. Igor Volsky joins us next to discuss that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Yeah. Donald Trump sure doesn't seem to like the, uh, to love the Affordable Care Act for some reason, does he? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Americans 
are watching the healthcare debate play out in Washington, D.C., and are fearful about what the outcome could mean for their care and for their wallets, according to a new survey by the Transamerica Center for Health Studies. Transamerica survey found that 81% of respondents are aware of the healthcare debate in Washington. Well, that's good. But of those, 92% indicated they are concerned about the changes that could come, and 59% said they are very or extremely concerned. 59%. Hector De La Torre, executive director of Transamerica Center for Health Studies, said, What we've seen over the course of our five years of doing this survey is that America's wa- Americans want to ke- kind of keep things the way they are. The biggest concern over time is the ability to pay or affordability. Well, if you listen to Donald Trump at the White House today, he has a solution for that. According to AP, President Trump signed an executive order that aims to make lower premium health care plans available to more Americans. That would be uh, lower premiums, less money. The president says the order will provide what he calls Obamacare relief. For millions of Americans, Trump is relying on this executive order because the Republican-controlled Congress has been unable to pass a plan to repeal and replace the Obama-era health care law. Trump says the health care system, quote, will get better with this action, and the action will cost the federal government nothing. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Here's uh, Trump today at his signing ceremony at the White House, flanked by Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and others who have called for what supposedly this new order titled Minimizing the Economic Burden of the Affordable Care Act Pending Repeal what this order will now allow, uh, allow the Trump Health and Human Services and other agencies to do. With these actions, we are moving toward lower costs and more options in the healthcare market and taking crucial steps toward saving the American people from the nightmare of Obamacare. Today is only the beginning. In the coming months, we plan to take new measures to provide our people with even more relief and more freedom. And we are going to also pressure Congress very strongly, to finish the repeal and the replace of Obamacare once and for all. We will have great health care in our country. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that sounds very good. We would all like great health care. The president continues to say, of course, that he still wants to uh, repeal have Congress repeal and replace the Obama health care law. But he promised that this order will give people more competition, more choices and lower premiums. As I said, all sounds fantastic here to explain this fantastic new executive order is is our old friend Igor Volsky, longtime health care researcher and reform advocate, now vice president at the Center for American Progress. He's also the co-host with Michelle Jawando of the Center's weekly Thinking Cap podcast. Igor Volsky, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Well, it's uh, good to have you here on a day like this where we can celebrate uh, the Republicans could not pass a repeal and replace health care scheme despite seven years of promises to do so, warnings about what a disaster it would be. Uh, and uh, you heard uh, President Trump there call it a nightmare. 
Despite the fact that some 30 million Americans who did not have health care previously, or at least access to it, now have it. So Trump is taking things into his own hand. He's signing this executive order. Um, and, and I guess doing what uh, this it's a one page text, this order. Uh, Republican, San, uh, uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has been calling for this for a while. So. What does the president actually order in this incredibly vague executive order? And then we can discuss what its effect may be and what it actually means and doesn't. Yeah. Well, so he basically, there are three different buckets uh, or three different top line things that he's calling on the different government agencies to do. And it's important also to remember that he is simply guiding certain agencies like the Department of Labor, Department of Transportation, Department of Health and Human Services to write certain regulations. And I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But that's important because he's not just like kind of flicking a switch and, uh, and, and making these reforms. This is going to take some time. It's going to take a matter of months. And so we're going to be able to use that month, those, those months. And I mean, by we, of course, I mean the very same coalition that defeated the legislative effort to repeal Obamacare. We're now going to be able to kind of regroup and to defeat this as well. Um, But yeah, before we get into that, let me just kind of broadly discuss what Mm -hmm. this does. You know, I think generally when we think about insurance, and when we think about what makes insurance work, we recognize that you need a healthy balance of healthy people and less healthy people in what's called an insurance risk pool, right, in an insurance plan. And the concept is, if that balance is right, you're able, the the healthy people pay for the claims of the sick people, and Mm -hmm. then once those healthy people eventually become sick or need treatment, as we all do, because we're all human beings, then you have other healthy people picking up that tab. That's just like the concept of insurance. And that's what Obamacare uh, sought to accomplish, um, and, and in many ways did successfully. It's part of the reason why you have, you know, 20 million new people uninsured. And, now, and let, uh, Igor, let me just jump in to say we recognize that, that uh, the yeah. healthy people uh, essentially pay for the sick people. But Republicans, even Paul Ryan, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, doesn't seem to understand that they've been complaining about the fact that the uh, the healthy people are essentially subsidizing the sick people, even though that seems like uh, the very essence of how insurance is supposed to work. Yeah, they they it's not that they don't understand that. It's that they think um, that there should be different dynamics and different incentives in play, and those dynamics and incentives go to benefit certain actors in the healthcare system, and that's why uh, they're calling for for those changes. They understand the way insurance works. They want it to work differently because there's a certain profit motive that comes along with that. So let me just say yeah. that um, the three different pieces of this plan. And I'm not going to get too much into the weeds because it's fairly wonky, Mm -hmm. but they basically are as follows. One is allowing small businesses who offer health care in what's called the small business insurance market to basically band together as associations and offer health plans that way. That would allow the healthiest uh, businesses, or that is the businesses with the healthiest uh, employees, maybe like a tech company that employs a, uh, employs a lot of really young people, mm-hmm. to leave 
the existing pool that they're in and form um, an association all on their own and offer health care that way. What that means is that, again, you're going to have healthy people leaving the risk pool and getting health care on their own, leaving the sicker people in that pool. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the people who are left are going to have to pay more for, for health insurance. Um, that's change number one. And then, you know, you, you'll hear them talk about being able to do this across state lines. That's another piece of this is that you can have an association form that's from all different states. But mm-hmm. the risk is that this is mostly going to be an association of relatively healthier people, um, and they would be able um, they would be able to basically, by leaving the existing risk pool, increase costs for for everybody else. And in, ex- uh, in exchange, they get uh, they are peeling back the requirements under Obamacare that uh, for certain minimum standards. Yeah, and in exchange, the kinds of policies that they would be able to sign up for would have fewer protections. Um, than than what is now mm-hmm. under law in terms of offering comprehensive coverage and and, and minimum and mandatory getting rid of mandatory minimums and annual mini- minimums and mm-hmm. all of those reforms that you know a lot of us really benefited from and, and really liked. So that's what he does to small businesses in the small business market. Mm-hmm. The other piece is the individual healthcare insurance market. Um, you know, there's something called a limited duration plan that you. You can actually get right now under law. And what that is, is if you are in between jobs and you just need a plan to kind of hold you over Mm -hmm. until you find another job, you can enroll in a limited duration plan for three months. So for three months, while you're looking for another job, you can get into this policy, which isn't regulated in the same way that uh, the that Obamacare is, um, and and that you know, for instance, you would allow for discrimination based on pre-existing conditions. Mm. But it would allow uh, for you to be charged more if you're older, if you're a woman. It, it can offer very skimpy benefits, so not offer coverage for you know cancer screenings. Or, or actual treatments that you need if you become ill. Mm-hmm. These are these limited duration plans. That's the case right now. That you can get and, those and for three months. For three months only. Okay. For three months only. And and the idea is, you know, you don't have a lot of a lot of money. You just need something to kind of hold you over. Right. 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 So what Trump does is expands that three month period into three hundred and sixty four days. So almost a year. Um and so, again, you have the same phenomenon as you have with the association health care plans where individuals who, are, who feel like at this point in time they don't need treatment, mm-hmm. they don't need care, will be able to leave Obamacare insurance policies and enroll in these limited duration plans. And for the duration that they're healthy... They, you know, can pay less. Mm. But if they fall ill and they actually need treatment, they'll quickly find out um, that these plans are inadequate. They're what we used to call before Obamacare kind of subprime plans or junk plans. This this effort by Trump is really kind of bringing them back to life. Um, and of course, you know, again, what happens to the plan, the Obamacare plan that these people left? Well, it's going to be filled with with more 
um, sicker people and premiums for those people will go up. And if the question is, well, who will be impacted the most, um, then the answer would be middle-class Americans. Because as you know, Obamacare has tax credits that it offers lower-income Americans, Mm -hmm. uh, up to 400% of the poverty line, but Americans who are in the more kind of in the middle class don't may, may not qualify for tax credits, and they would face the full burden of the price increase that results from younger people leaving the risk pool, and so they would have to pay more for health care coverage. So when they talk about uh, saving money, that this is going to be a cheaper health care, that to a certain extent is going to be true because there will be certain. If I wanted to go out right now and buy some crappy plan because I'm in such yep. great health. I can go buy a a crappy short-term plan. I can keep it for a year. And then uh, you and I, Igor, you've got a a podcast. I've got a podcast. We can make the Podcast uh, Association of America, and we can band together and go out and buy really cheap policies uh, if they're made available, I guess. We can Mm -hmm. can buy these cheap policies, hang on to them forever, hope that they'll cover us when we get sick. But in the meantime, that has... Uh, pulled out money from uh, from the the larger health insurance pool, yep. so everyone else everyone else's uh, premiums go up. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, not only are premiums going up for people, but look, insurers are going to think, well, you know, if there's this competition from these subprime plans, and I, as an insurer, uh, can't attract enough healthy people to be able to sustain my plan, then I'm not, I'm just not going to offer coverage. And so you, you could have a situation where you have more and more markets where there's there's very few insurers or there are no insurers. So basically everything you hear Trump criticize Obamacare for, when he says that it's failing, when he says that premiums are increasing, when he says that there are no insurers offering coverage, just know that this series of executive actions actually make sure that 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 that's the case, that he's kind of painting that reality with the actions that he's taking here. This well could uh, prompt the uh, so-called death spiral in the insurance markets Mm -hmm. that they have been complaining, that they have been claiming have been going on for years. Uh, This would actually uh, prompt those to move faster if, in fact, that happens. Yeah, because right now we're we're in a place where, you know, the markets do need some additional stabilization, which is why you remember you had that bipartisan effort with Lamar Alexander mm-hmm. and Patty Murray trying to um, uh, kind of shore up the markets a little bit. Um, that has really, you know, been abandoned because Republicans shut it down to try to push through repeal uh, that this latest effort, the, you know, the, that Heller bill mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately failed. Um and but we do know from the Congressional Budget Office that even though the markets, uh, you know, kind of need a need a need a bit of help mm-hmm. in terms of just creating some certainty for insurers, mm-hmm. the CBO does say that they are stable overall and that they will be stable in the years to come. Uh, unless, of course, you have the kinds of actions that Trump is it wants to take, which would only increase premiums and, and make sure people have fewer coverage options. And the healthcare insurance industry experts have been saying that the reason that they are raising, <clears throat> and I don't know if they can be trusted here or not, but they claim that the reason that they are raising premiums uh, pretty substantially in a lot of places across the country this year is because of all of this uncertainty. Will uh, the will this executive order signed by Trump on Thursday 
make make that better or worse, or is this just uh, too too coming too late before the 2018 uh, premium year uh, to make yeah. a difference there? Well, look, there's a whole lot of uncertainty, and this adds to that uncertainty. And so it, it's certainly not going to make the situation uh, any better. Um, but look, I think what people have to remember, and this is where you know, you got to be a little careful, because right now, overall, the markets are stable. And we're entering an enrollment period that's going to stretch from November 1st to December 15th, where people can enroll in Obamacare, and they should absolutely do that. So, you know, on one hand... Um, Yes, the actions that Trump is trying to take are, uh, you know, are going to hurt uh, Obamacare and the markets. But on the other hand, I want to make sure that people still understand that if they need health care coverage, they can find affordable health care coverage still under the ACA because it's still the law of the land. Is this ultimately this executive order today? Is this another one of those orders that, like so many that he has signed, that seem to... Uh, that seem to do something, but then actually don't. That, you know, make it look like, oh, I'm fixing Obamacare, but it actually nothing changes here for quite some time. Because this, all, all of these, uh, as I understand it, these uh, agencies would have to go through the rulemaking procedure, right. public comment, uh, face potential uh, legal challenges, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like nothing actually changes today and maybe ever, depending on how this plays out. Well, look, Brad, that's really up, up to us, because you're absolutely right. This has to go through a rulemaking uh, process. That means that it's gonna ha- the, the process requires the agencies to respond to the comments that people submit about the rules. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a big opportunity for the very same people in coalition that stopped the legislative repeal of Obamacare to try and stop this regulatory process by submitting comments and to overwhelm them with comments saying, no, don't do this. But there's also, you know, actions that states can take, Brad. States can significantly limit the availability of these kind of subprime policies because, remember, it's really at the state level that insurance is regulated. So there's actions that people are going to be able to take in terms of lobbying their state lawmakers to help um, better regulate the market to to deal with what Trump is doing. Uh, And then, of course, look, Congress. Congress can also act and prevent this uh, from 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 taking uh, from taking place, and you know that's probably, frankly, the least likely uh, route of action given the composition of Congress. Right. But hey, you know we also had that bipartisan effort that I referenced, um, and if it wasn't squashed, it's very possible that would have gotten enough votes to pass in Congress because ultimately, you know, a lot of lawmakers, even a lot of Republicans, hear from their constituents who are complaining about higher premiums, and if they don't have the votes to repeal the law, you know, they also don't want to own um, the, the increased premiums, which is ultimately, I think, um, what, what they're going to have to own politically, that they, um, the reason why the markets are unstable and the reason why people have to pay more is because of the actions that they're taking, or in this case, the actions that they're, you know, refusing to take in, in pushing back 
back against these orders. You mentioned uh, states, Igor Volsky, and we've just got another minute or so here. Uh, you mentioned uh, what states can do. One of the things the Republicans have been calling for is to, you know, be able to sell across insurance across state lines, that this will somehow make things cheaper. Uh, I think that this rule would, uh, this executive order is intended to do uh, to do that in certain cases. But uh, can't states block that from happening? In other words, I'm out here in California. If there's an insurance uh, policy available from Arizona that is half the price because it's, again, one of those garbage uh, policies, can't uh, California say, no, you can, th- those policies cannot be sold to California residents? Uh, that that might be the case. Uh, you know, I'm not sure of the mm-hmm. the structure uh, that they're going to use for to allow associations to be able to form across state lines. Mm-hmm. But you know, I also have to say that that talking point about selling policies across state lines is actually available now under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the law sets up something called compacts where states can uh, can come together and decide on the regulations uh, under which insurers can operate, and so that can happen now. Um, what we've Republicans want to do is basically allow for a race to the bottom where an insurer can basically incorporate in a state with the fewest regulations and then sell these crappy policies to citizens in other states. Uh, Last question here. You mentioned that the open enrollment period is November 1 through, I think, December 15 15. now. Yeah. And it has been cut in half uh, the, the length that it used to be. So, uh, despite this order's vow to, quote, ensure that the law is being efficiently implemented and that it's taking, quote, all actions consistent with the law to minimize unwarranted economic and regulatory burdens of the act, uh, Trump's administration, uh, his other actions uh, actually seem to undermine Obamacare, and they are consistent with someone who is uh, trying to hurt not support this law uh correct from shortening the open enrollment period to shutting down the exchange website i think for one night a week during that shorter period uh gutting all the promotional uh information on open enrollment etc yeah i mean there's no question that he's trying to make it more difficult for people who need health insurance to access health insurance and uh you know and, and and in some cases stay alive uh, it you know it there's there's so much craziness going on uh, with this administration, but I, I have to say uh, we often cover this story as just like oh you know uh, he's shortening the period of enrollment or right. like kind of like small bureaucratic changes, but we have to understand limiting the, the the availability of health insurance making putting obstacles in the way of people uh, in terms of for signing up for coverage is literally a question of life or death. Um, and this administration, unfortunately, is like really on the wrong side of that equation. Igor Volsky, vice president at the Center for American Progress, co-host of the center's weekly Thinking Cap podcast. And uh, man, we have gone to now for, oh, I think over a decade uh, to get information on the continuing fight over health care. Um, very. Uh, how How can people... Uh, how do you recommend they take action here, and where can we find the Thinking Cap podcast? 
Well, you can find the Thinking Camp podcast anywhere you get your, your podcast, and we encourage you, of course, to leave a comment and a review so that other people can find the program. Uh, but for more information in terms of advocacy and action uh, around this um, this issue, people can follow either me on Twitter, at Igor Volsky, or at Cap Action. Uh, at Cap Action, we're going to be thinking through all the different steps people should and, and can take, and so uh, we really encourage you to, to follow those channels and and um, find ways to plug in there. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate you jumping in and explaining this uh, this order today. Uh, Igor Volsky on the Twitters and also Cap Action on the Twitters. You can get more information, of course, at AmericanProgress.org. Good talking to you, Igor. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. By the way, uh, when those premiums go up, as uh, it's suggested it might if this uh, executive order a- actually gets put into practice. The Obamacare subsidies that the federal government pays out, those will go up with them. Though Trump said during the signing ceremony that this is going to, quote, this will cost the United States government virtually nothing, he actually couldn't be more wrong about that. Remember, the Affordable Care Act cut the deficit by some $200 billion over 10 years. Uh, But it guarantees uh, a a certain amount of premium coverage, a discount off of the premium. So when the premiums go up for people who are on the Obamacare exchanges, that's paid for by the government, by the federal government. So when they make the premiums go up, they're going to make the cost to the federal government go up. Sabrina Corlett uh, notes over at uh, uh, TPM today, she's a researcher from Georgetown University's Health Policy Institute, effectively by reducing the number of healthy people in the marketplaces, you're increasing the liability for federal taxpayers to pick up more of the cost of that premium. So I'm shocked to learn that uh, a new Donald Trump executive order is much less than it seems, and uh, potentially much more expensive. All right, quick break, and we're back with Green News Report. After this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Please, please make it stop. Welcome back. Please stop the world, yes. Uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Oh, hi, Desi Doyle. Oh, hey. Uh, Wow. Uh, okay, another uh, amazing news day, and it ain't over yet, as you'll find out in our latest Green News Report. We've had big fires in the past. This is one of the biggest, most serious. It's not over. California's wine country firestorms continue to rage out of control. The CDC is evaluating four deaths 
possibly from leptospirosis. Risk of waterborne diseases rises in battered Puerto Rico. Plus, this is the jewel in the crown of America's fisheries resources. Trump's EPA greases the way for massive controversial pebble mine in the world's most valuable salmon fishery. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. FEMA asked her to write a memo requesting what she needed. A memo! FEMA wants a memo! (laughs) What FEMA really needs is a to-do list. To do f***ing everything. (laughs) Yep, this is your Green News Report. Okay, yes, Desi Doyen, I think we need to give more money to FEMA. What do you think? (laughs) Yes, I definitely think we do. In the meantime, California State Fire Chief Ken Pimlot warned Wednesday night that gusty winds were picking up again and that the fires in Northern California are going to continue to get worse before they get better. Yes, unfortunately, the firestorm in Northern California's wine country continues to rage on and now ranks as one of the worst fire emergencies in California history. Both state and federal disasters have been declared in northern areas of the state, freeing up resources to fight the fires. The wind-driven fires are extremely fast-moving and intense, and as of airtime, have killed at least 21 people, destroyed more than 35 hundred buildings, incinerated entire neighborhoods, and forced the evacuation of tens of thousands of people. And it should be noted that hundreds are still missing. Hopefully they're just out of communication, but that death toll is expected to rise. California fire officials say at least 22 large wildfires are now burning across the state. The cause of the wine country fires has not yet been determined, but the San Jose Mercury News reports a preliminary focus is on whether overhead power lines were downed by the historic wind event on Sunday night that may have sparked multiple fires simultaneously. Forest and climate scientists also warn that man-made conditions have intensified this record western wildfire season. Decades of fire suppression, a buildup of fuels, development in fire-prone areas, and climate change intensifying drought and heat. California just had its hottest summer on record in 2017. In a press conference on Wednesday, California Governor Jerry Brown suggested these firestorms are the new normal. That's the way it is uh, with a warming climate and dry weather and reducing moisture. Uh, These kind of catastrophes have happened. They'll continue to happen and we have to be prepared to do everything we can uh, to mitigate. In Puerto Rico, in the ongoing humanitarian crisis, three weeks after Hurricane Maria made landfall, the official death toll in the wake of the storm has been raised to 45. Forty percent of Puerto Ricans still lack access to potable drinking water. FEMA has authorized $70 million in water system repairs, and officials have issued a boil water advisory after four deaths suspected to be from contaminated water. Ninety percent of the island lacks electricity, a temporary waiver of shipping restrictions under the Jones Act has now expired and the Trump administration says it has no plans to reinstate it, doubling the cost of shipments to the battered island. 
In Alaska, the controversial Pebble Mine has been brought back from the dead by the Trump administration. According to internal emails obtained by CNN, an hour after Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt met with the CEO of the Pebble Mine, Pruitt ordered EPA staff to withdraw an Obama-era scientific study finding that the massive mine in Alaska's pristine Bristol Bay watershed would cause irreversible damage to the world's most valuable salmon fishery and result in complete and irreversible loss of fish habitat that supports 14,000 jobs. Pruitt's move allows the proposed gold and copper mine to move forward. The majority of Alaskans voted against the mine last year. That's according to Alaska Dispatch News columnist and Alaska native Shannon Moore here in an interview with the broadcast. We were going to have to choose one resource over the other. Were we going to choose gold over, over salmon or salmon over gold? There was a paradigm switch that happened that said salmon are sacred and we're not going to trade them. Professor of Fisheries Science Thomas Quinn of the University of Washington in an interview with CNN called it a uniquely bad place to put a mine. This is the jewel in the crown of America's fisheries resources in salmon. If you don't think this is worth saving, what is? The public has until Tuesday, October 17th, to weigh in on Pruitt's policy reversal by leaving a comment at regulations.gov. That's regulations.gov. What is it? Regulations.gov. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. For more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Here's to Alaska, here's to the people, here's to the wild, and here's to the free. Here's to my life in a chosen country. Thank you very much, Desiree. Yep. Uh, there was uh, so much uh, to get to today. One of those triage days where you had to pick out what mattered and, and what didn't. One of the things that uh, for now didn't matter, maybe we'll cover it on our next thrilling episode, was Donald Trump's hour-long interview with Sean Hannity on Fox News. That was a whole lot of crazy. Oh, man. You'll be shocked to learn. Uh, so anyway, uh, perhaps on our next thrilling episode, unless uh, something else happens between now and then, what are the odds of that? Yes. Uh, we do have an update uh, since our Green News report today. Yes, uh, unfortunately. An, uh, unfortunate update, I have yeah. to, an update to the death toll in the California wildfires up in wine country. It's now 29 people have been confirmed dead, and there are still hundreds missing, and they're searching for them actively right now. Hopefully, hopefully it won't get much worse. Uh, yes. Well, thanks for uh, ruining the day, Desi <laughs> Doyen. I'm just going to blame you for that. Uh, okay, thank you very much for that, and uh, stay safe up there in Northern California. I know we got a lot of listeners up there as well. Okay, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my uh, guest today, Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find us, follow us, and share us worldwide, as, as it is said, on the Twitters where I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help actively support 
our ability to continue to do this with you every day. It is an honor and a privilege. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.